Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to... Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. We have a doozy of a show for all of you listeners today, as I am joined by a returning champion here on our show's Cracked Rackets contributor, David Gertler, to discuss all aspects of the 2021 ATP Awards. Now, we recorded this podcast before the formal nominees for each of the awards have been announced. Nevertheless, Always a fascinating argument to discuss things like the most improved player of the season, the newcomer of the year, comeback player of the year, coach of the year. We dive into all of those things on today's topics as well as a conversation on the relevancy of awards in professional tennis. Of course, tennis is an individual sport. And how do we recognize the game's greatest champions? Well, they're the ones winning the tournaments at the end of each and every event. As such, do we really need additional awards to point out who the best players were and if we do how do we make these awards more relevant moving forward those were the sorts of discussions we had on today's podcast obviously dove deep into the weeds on the stats to discuss all things most improved player I think that's a 30-minute conversation as we not only talk about the clear top three in Cam Nori, Kasparud, Aslan, Karatsev but the many other standout performers who improved significantly in 2021 I already regret not including Stefan Kozlov in that discussion for some sort of award here this season. But nevertheless, fascinating conversation. I think we hit about an hour and a half mark. You can see on your podcast feeds as you click on this episode, we spare no expense as we officially begin our transition into off-season mode here at Crack Rackets. And yes, there's still challengers going on, ITF events going on. But of course, we're trying to focus on all things to prepare you listeners for another exciting 2022 season. We'll reflect on last year, talk about our biggest questions entering the next year, not just about the pro level stuff, but of course, uh, I should say not just the ATP and WTA level stuff, but challengers, ITFs, we'll talk college, of course, in our college contender series, we'll talk even about the juniors, the ITFs as well with Colette Lewis uh, after she is done with her Eddie, her Orange Bull swing, so plenty of fun content in the works for all of you listeners over the next month, as again, we try to make sure you remain the most well-informed, best prepared fans in the business. Of course, if you miss out on any of the content, you can catch up on it all on our website, CrackRackets.com. Should you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or at CrackRackets, you want to message me directly with any topic suggestions or requests, I am at GreatShotPod. And again, we appreciate all of your patience over the past week as we enjoyed a Thanksgiving holiday and, of course, were able to host the Level 1 National Indoor Championships for the Boys 12's USTA event. Nevertheless, you didn't come here to hear plugs. You didn't want to hear about the content plan. You want to hear our thoughts on the ATP award. 
Awards. So we'll get into that, as well as revel in the joy, by the way, of Michigan's football victory over Ohio State. Talk about any tennis matches over the years that have matched uh, the or that, the result of which you know caused the sort of enthusiasm we felt this past Saturday. It's a really fun conversation, the perfect podcast to begin our transition into the offseason. So without further ado, Westoff, hit those credits. Let's start today's show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Joining us on the podcast once again today for the first time in far too long is a returning champion here on our Crack Racket shows. Of course, you know him best as a writer for our website, CrackRackets.com, for Last Word on Tennis, for his All About Tennis blog. Of course, I know him as my friend, fellow Michigan Wolverine, David Gertler. David, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. Happy belated Thanksgiving. How are you doing? Hello, hey, how you doing? I gotta first off say, go blue. Uh, that's gotta gotta start that off. Yes, sorry, Ohio State fans, this is our year. Um, big game Saturday. I am, I you know when they were rushing the field, it felt like a dream. Like I swear, it felt like a dream. <laughs> yeah. So. Hello, friend. It is good to hear your voice. I'm excited to have someone to get to do this with, and I know we are a tennis-centric podcast, and believe me, we are going to get to our takes, our debate on the ATP Awards. We'll be talking Player of the Year, Most Improved, Newcomer, Comeback, all of the fun awards, some made-up mixed ones in as well, but... Yes, let's bask in the glory of a Michigan victory over Ohio State on the football field. Westoff, give me all of the celebration sound effects, please, because David, you're right. It just So I was thinking about it because we were at our tournament desk and I was texting you on Saturday and, you know, we were running the USCA Boys 12s National Indoor Championships. I don't know if that's a humble brag. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. But as it's such, you know what? You deserve to brag. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. And the highlight to me of the tournament, I'm on court umpiring and oh my gosh, was that oh, an experience we can talk. Oh, I was doing a little bit of everything, David. Oh, you God. know, I wear many a hats. Um, but I'm on court watching a match, and you can see through the screen because it's an indoor event, and they have a screen that you can see through behind the courts. And so Westoff's behind the courts standing there, and sometimes he'd signal me to say, hey, I need you to step off court for a second to help me with something. This time, he gives me a hands-up touchdown signal and a football-throwing motion to symbolize that Michigan is about to beat Ohio State. And I was just like, no fucking way. Is that How actually you happening? concentrate on the match if you were umpiring with that in your mind, you know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, that's why I wasn't looking at my phone. I was trying to stay away from the updates. I was like, I need to focus on the task at hand. But I was thinking about it in my life. I can put on the short list and, you know, nowadays I wear a tennis media hat. So I try not to think like this anymore. But Michigan beat Ohio State in men's tennis in March for the first time since I think 2002. And oh I was God. elated by that victory. And again, men's tennis, we've had plenty of success on the women's side, but we beat them at home, men's tennis, you know, 4-3 win. 
I was pumped. I was like, it's a rivalry. We're back. We almost beat him on the road. Another match that goes 4-3. That time we lost, but it just felt like that matchup now. It's real. It's back. And I was ecstatic about that fact. Andy Murray winning the 2012 U.S. Open. I remember exactly where I was. I remember the Me exact too. feeling of it happening. I remember how excited I was. Honestly, oh, him I was winning. For uh, <laughs> but I remember him winning the Olympics. I remember him losing in that Wimbledon final. That entire 2012 fall, like that was probably as excited as I've ever been as a tennis fan. When Virginia won their first national championship on the men's side in 2013, I was doing my senior project uh, as a senior in high school. And you go on senior project, you go do an internship with a, a friend's dad or whatever, and you shadow him and et cetera, et cetera. And I was sitting in my little cubicle following the live scoring updates constantly because they didn't have live streaming back in 2013. And I remember just being like, we won! Even though, you know, again, no ties to Virginia, but I still felt that sort of kinship to the team in that moment. Like, that's the short list for me, mm-hmm. and yet when I think about it, because it was like a three-day joy. I'm curious, what sort of tennis moments have brought you joy like this Michigan victory over, over Ohio State, and does this surpass all of them on your list? Probably for me, Serena 2012 Olympic. I mean, 2012 Wimbledon, after that uh, loss to Rosano, uh, seeing mm-hmm. her win that uh, was one of those moments. Uh 2014, I, I, I'm a Serena fan, 2014 when she hadn't won any of the majors all year, people were starting to doubt her. And then So I need to just stop you quickly. I apologize for interjecting. I did not know this side of you. You are a, a diehard Serena stan? Okay, so I'm not like uh, – hold on. I want to separate myself <laughs> in the sense that I am not – I, I do not consider myself a stan. I consider myself – an objective fan. Um, okay. But the reason, so not, I actually am going to have an article coming out of my tennis origin story. Um, uh, and so not the, I became a diehard fan because of Serena. Um, watching her lose to Rosano in 2012, uh, French Open. And so she kind of catapulted my tennis interest uh, a lot higher than it had been. Um and so for me, my early diehard tennis career was focused on Serena. So 2012, uh, U.S. Open, obviously. Uh, then the 2014 U.S. Open, which he finally won it. Um, let's see, Federer 20, when he beat uh, Murray in 2012. Uh, when, oh, and when he, oh, 2017 Australian Open, of course. Uh, so yeah, just, those are some of the moments that have brought me immense joy. Uh, Nothing like the big three in Serena for me. Like the, it's just mm. hard to replace the iconic moments in tennis that they've had. Even when Federer and Serena, who are my two favorites, have lost. Sure. So it does not surpass Serena. This Michigan victory over Ohio State. Oh yes, it absolutely does. Um, <laughs> but I was just talking tennis specific. I'll tell you what. I you cannot. Well, until work today, you cannot wipe the smile off my face. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was the same way. Again, it, I apologize, listeners, for who have heard me say this oh so many times. It reminded me of the euphoria I had after we won the club tennis title my senior year, where for the next week you could ask my roommate who would who was just like, Alex, you just like every every 45 minutes you'll just start giggling and was I'll look at you. 
then I like I watched like a touch of it. On that is the one I sent you on YouTube, yeah, correct? Yeah. And um, he goes, yeah, like every forty-five minutes, you're giggling, and thank God you and Max lost in the final because had you guys won, you would be unbearable right now. And I was just like, yeah, you're right. I but honestly think Bell is calling that match, right? Again, what, thus the euphoria. I like if we can do an oral history. You know, it is the off season. It is a December podcast, so I suppose it's okay that this is what we're starting the show with. Um, Wait, did but did you know that Cece Bellis's mom uh, started commented on my blog once? Like, angry really? <laughs> did I ever tell you that? No, I. Uh, I wish I could like share with you. I could put you in my brain so that you could see the memory I have. So as part of the club tennis final, they did a pre-production show so that David Kane and uh, – not David Kane, David Cohn, excuse me, and CeCe Bellis. Yeah. No, David Cohn who calls UVA basketball or used to call UVA basketball. I think he just got a new job. I'm not sure where he moved to. But anyways, uh, did that. He was the play-by-play guy. CeCe was the color and we met with them for like 30 minutes, an hour, and we had a lot of fun with it. They gave us this questionnaire so they'd have stuff to talk about during the broadcast. And like one of the questions was, what is something you'd bring to a deserted island? And so I look at my doubles partner, Max Rothman, former co-host of the show, and I go, hey, let's just write down each other. I'm like, trust me, they'll bring it up. It'll be a laugh. Like, let's just do it. And so it was just stuff like that. And then afterwards, we were like, hey, can you give us a tour of the grounds? And so we got like a 45-minute tour from CC Bellis wow. of the then brand-new USTA National Campus. It was a joke. Thus the euphoria. Thus the giggling. Thus, no, I get that. I yeah. totally would have felt the same way if I was as good as you at Dennis. <laughs> well... That's flattering to say. I always say underrated. I'm not good, but I'm not bad. I'm fine. Um, anyways, you still playing the leagues? Like I know you said you started a you were indie, in the indie summer league champion, but it doesn't wow. count because no, it's not the same. It's also just I'm also so much younger than everyone. I'm 26. They're all 30 or north of it. it and so yeah, so that helps. Anyways, enough about my tennis career. Point being, to go full picture here. I don't know. This is on the short list. It's been, what, eight years, nine years, whatever it was. And just, again, to uh, to have that victory, to dominate the way that we did. Someone send this to Ty Tucker. To dominate the way that we did, David. Control the offensive line. And to have them go up 10-7, Garrett Wilson, this ridiculous catch. And just, again, number, what is it, and Jigba, Smith and Jigba, just oh, open whenever. He, he is so good. And it's like, oh, yeah, and they've got Alave. My favorite call probably in all of sports is when, uh, again, that uh, just watching those Ohio State receivers, and yet we crushed them. We crushed you know them, what, David. You know we crushed them. We got under their skin too. I, they started <laughs> to crack like an egg. And the – all right, Michigan crowds, let's just be honest here. They're not great. The big house is half empty until halfway through the first quarter at best. Um, and even then, we're not the most engaged crowd. It's not an SEC, LSU, you know, sort of die for this football team. Now, it's very loud because there are very many people. But this was an engaged 110,000, David, and it was something else. It was the loudest I had ever heard the big ass. Um, and I'm, I'm not since I had become a fan in 2015, like I've never seen it like that. It may be so – it may be missed just competition more than anything else. Just the smack talking that must have been going on. And you're right. They started going after us after the play and it's like, oh, we, you're, we're under your skin. You're trying to yeah. make this chippy and we're just going to kick your ass and go along you, with it. You know what, Alex? Some guys are, are uh, born on third base. 
<laughs> well, first of all, that's not what he said. He said, you know, some guys find themselves on third base and they think they hit a triple. He didn't say the born part. I uh, went back and watched the press conference because uh, that's what I do nowadays because I was so elated. I was like, I even want to watch this freaking press conference, David. That's where I was at. Um, but it was like – Again, his point being, you're on third base, you think you hit a triple, you didn't. It was, talk your shit, Jim. Do it. Like, now's the moment. And Gaddis was saying they're a finesse team. I'm like, yeah, finally, we get to, we get well, to be the ones not, like, embarrassed with our tail between our legs. Well, that's just why college sports are so enjoyable, and that's why we love college tennis is because rivalries are real. They can exist. They persist between schools, between programs, cultures, and they can last, you know, despite the shifting faces. And, you know, we don't always see that in professional sports, A, because it's professionalism, and you can't afford to have petty rivalries if you're trying to succeed at the highest levels B in team sports in particular the faces are always changing but you know again in an individual sport like tennis you're not guaranteed to see that player on the opposite side of the draw each and every time that's why it's so special that you know Djokovic and Nadal and Djokovic Federer and Nadal Federer have played as many times as they have and it's also why I think the fact that Medvedev and Zverev are now each other's most played opponents in their career is so fascinating as well because the ingredients are actually there for a rivalry to emerge but yeah fun weekend fun weekend david no doubt about that i would say all right final power rankings uh, virginia winning the national championship in 2013 is always going to be number one because oh i i like i remember it so clearly Maybe like if i could we win the national championship this year you'll oh in no only in men's tennis if michigan won a men's tennis championship with all due respect to the women's team, with all due respect to everything else, that would be number. Michigan men's tennis is the and Michigan men's football. Not that there's women's football. I don't know why you throw that in, but whatever. Michigan football is the only. Those are the only two sports that and the Lions that draw emotional reactions from me. Sure, still because mm-hmm. again, you got to cover this sport objectively, and I'm, I watch so much tennis now. I just don't have time to invest in any individual because it's like I got to be talking about all of you. Those are the two things that actually, if there's a significant result, like I, Michigan's run to the national indoors semifinals in 2020 to be on the broadcast for that. I will never forget that experience. I mean, there's something also about being Michigan, not, you know, like just something about like, you know, that, that pride that like, you know, the one of us, you know, exactly. Well, it's just, we were there. I've been to those matches and just, I've seen the team clinch the sweet 16 for the first time in forever. And just, yeah, again, there's some investment there. It's exactly, it's just like, I've invested time and emotion into this in the past and I will in the future. I will say, while I still have reverence for those UVA teams of the past, I have very much mellowed in my Virginia love just because yeah. I, I've yeah. just realized coaches will only afford me one bias. They're like, well, you went to Michigan, so it's okay that you root for Michigan. And I actually think I've adopted that, which I'm fairly you, proud of. You adopted to Vanderbilt. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, well, I was ready to adopt it to Tennessee, David, but you let yeah. me down. No, I'm just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, we can leave that there. We can uh, leave that there. But all right, that's an opening 15. Okay. I actually okay. have a good transition. Can I say something? This is give me your best Mike Greenberg transition here, David. Okay, so you were saying how like you, we, we were saying how we had that personal transition. That's why I never really we were talking at the beginning about stands, right? About like sure. joking. I don't understand that a little bit um, in terms of 
for instance, Djokovic, I, I don't understand like people who are like just live and die by Djokovic, no matter what he says. You don't have, I just don't understand. It just doesn't comprehend like that because you don't have that personal connect, connection to him. Like, well, you, you feel that way. No, I do understand how people can become the same way we're connected to Michigan football, the same way we're, you know, again, that Michigan football symbolizes to us a special time in our lives, A, B, the sense of community we felt when we lived in Ann Arbor. And just, again, we are still drawn to that and gravitated towards that. And for people in Serbia, the experience of oh. watching Novak Djokovic transcend not only the sport, but global fame. Uh, that is significant to every Serbian. And of course, I agree with you just objectively. No one should live or die by every word of anyone, just period, sports, non-sports. Re- regardless, you should, you would like to think, look at every statement objectively. But again, we're not going to get into objective or subjective because this is not philosophy 101. We're not in <laughs> Mason Hall right now. Um, but the point being, yeah, the same way we are diehards for Michigan, people feel that way for uh, Novak Djokovic. Now, I don't – again, I would like if if you're trying to call out specific journalists and saying they are diehards on the beat of specific players, as always, I would say point me to the examples. Otherwise, I don't believe it. I don't think there are journalists in the pocket of any no, particular I, that's players. Not what I was, no, 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 no. And I know I you weren't. I, I, uh, yeah, I had sure. Like a, I had a Sitsi fan come after me in the past. Uh, I, but I understand it now that you mentioned the national – the national angle. I wasn't thinking, I was thinking of it on a smaller term, but that makes more sense. Yeah, sure. And so again, with all of that said, something that gets everyone excited always as a fan is award season. And that is the actual reason we wanted to have you on the show today, as well as the fact, and I feel comfortable announcing this to our listeners now, since we actually talked about it beforehand. I'm going to try and get you on once a week here throughout the month of December, Have you so you and I can tackle some of the fun off-season topics. We can reflect on 2021, look at some of the inflection point players heading into 2022, but Something that obviously happens so quickly, it's a flash of the pan because the tennis offseason is so short and, you know, these Are awards. Are we in the offseason right now? Like challengers are still going on. There was, I saw there was a 20, 125K for the women over Christmas. I'm like, what is going on here? Well, here's the thing. There are ITF events always. There is no offseason in tennis. That's the dirty secret. This is as close as we get to an offseason. And from a scheduling standpoint, this is just the only months we have available on the podcast to do these sorts. <laughs> of things and so you make very valid points there there's no denying that but with that in mind you've added on to my point because something that happened so quickly and yes we'll do award updates here on this show because again we're trying to fill 365 days of tennis content for all of you listeners make sure you're still the most well-informed best educated fans in the business but do awards matter in professional tennis is something I asked David Kane about when we had him on the show to discuss the WTA awards. And yeah, it's a thought that I think we don't discuss in tennis. And I'm probably going to send out a tweet, David, as you give your answer, asking the people, do awards matter in professional tennis? Um, But look, like if I ask you right now, how many ATP Player of the Year awards has Roger Federer won? Can you answer that off the top of your head? Uh. If you if you said sportsmanship, I would say infinity. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I can't answer. I would guess probably between five and seven. Okay. Well, see, you're very good at making educated guesses. If I asked you how many has Djokovic won, could you answer that off the top of your head? 
If I asked you who won the Newcomer of the Year Award in 2017, if I asked you, you probably wouldn't know that. But if I asked you who won the 2017 U.S. Open, you probably would know the answer to that. If I asked you, you know, again, about each and every one of these awards, I don't think the common fan would be able to answer them. When you refer to Roger Federer, you don't refer to him as a five-time ATP Player of the Year Award recipient. and. For the record, hey, great shot to you on that guess. You don't talk about Novak Djokovic winning seven ATP Player of the Year awards and the fact that, you know, he, Federer, Nadal, and Murray have won every ATP Player of the Year award since 2004. Now, yes, that makes sense, but that is not something that's discussed in the context of the success of this era. And, you know, again, when it's like, well, what's the argument for Gustavo Kerten as an all-time best? No one says, well, he was the 2000 Player of the Year award. No one goes, oh, everyone remember that 89 Player of the Year well, award campaign from well, Boris that- Becker? So, again, my question to you, David, and I apologize for cutting you off here for this monologue, but is do awards matter? Okay, so I have two things I want to say, and I, I hope I don't forget one of them when I'm talking about the other. Um, okay. Remind me, okay, remind me about David Kane because I want to get back to something you said on Twitter. Um do player of the world men that gets i guess into a more philosophical question of does anything outside of majors in tennis matter um because you don't say that oh Ale- you will never remember alexander or, or you'll maybe not the olympic you'll never remember alexander's vera won the atp finals this year um or Djokovic won paris that doesn't matter in the in the uh, grand scheme of things so what really matters in tennis outside of majors and if that and if we are just going to count majors as really the only important thing maybe weeks number one um is that dangerous and for the long-term health of the game um in terms of what david do awards matter david came had on twitter uh, recently basically saying oh you know maybe for the wta say radu canoe uh should won should have won should win the uh uh wta player of the year because of the narrative surrounding her and this narrative based award um, did you see that, Alex? I, 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 I'm aware of the tweet exchange you're referring to, sure. Okay. Um, and that actually, I remember in the NBA, there was, I think it was an, someone, writer vote, voted uh, for Anthony Davis or something like that for a narrative-based award. It was some, and they got roasted for it. Uh, I, I think if we're going to do narrative-based voting, then it really doesn't matter. But if we're going to subjectively sit here and look at, if we're going to objectively sit here and look at what's in the majors, what went on, who do they beat, how many weeks at number one in a year, some things like that, uh, major you know, tournaments, finals, we're going to look at the facts of the season. Then I think that there is at least some merit there. But if we're just going to say, you know, Radicanu, she got a lot of Chinese, in, you know, or Romanian. Uh, eyes on tennis sure that's important but that doesn't make you player of the year yeah i mean so you're talking about the process issues and obviously i believe media votes on this and i am not currently an award voter i hope to someday be i would love to see you as an award voter as well and obviously it's always a fun debate when the awards come up at the end of the season but again if i'm making a hall of fame case for a player Am I going to talk about the awards they won? If you're talking about the success of, you know, let's say a Pablo Carreno Busta, are you going to be like, well, he was the most improved award winner in 2013? Or, you know, are you, when you're talking about the career of, let's say, a, again, any of these players, you know what's crazy? Comeback player of the year in 2018, 
Novak Djokovic. Here, by the way, are 2017 Comeback Player of the Year, Roger Federer. 2018, Novak Djokovic. 2019, Andy Murray. Like, are those things ever going to come up in the arguments of where they are in history? Because if they're not, then, like, again, what awards matter for a week? Is that the answer to this question? Well, I I guess a couple things. First off, when Djokovic lost to Tara Daniel, I think it was in Indian Wells or Miami in 2017, I thought he was done. In my brain, I thought there was at least a big chance he was done. (laughs) So... That was I mean he probably deserved that, but what I here's what I'll say is these awards they all comprise the tournaments that we base the Hall of Fame arguments on, and these bigger narratives or these uh, when we look back on a player's career, we don't think about the awards, but we think of the tournaments that comprise what the awards were based on. If that does that make sense? Sure, but I guess again. We do, but I'm I'm talking about do, for fans in general. Like you're talking about a very media specific thing. You want the awards to reflect the the objective, uh, you know, objective reflection of the season and the accomplishments that were had on a tournament by tournament basis. Although, of course, I do think the narrative does matter in telling these awards, particularly if you want these awards to be a mechanism of telling the story in a specific season. Like for instance, you know, again. Most improved statistically might be the guy who has the biggest rankings jump, but you can't tell me the narrative of, you know, Kasparud going from a good prospect to borderline elite of the elite, if not very much the elite of the elite in 2021. That shouldn't factor into the award or the fact that Cam Norrie goes from hovering around the top 50 to winning a Masters event, that the narrative jump boost he gets from that, Aslan Karatsev going from mm-hmm. hovering around 200 to top 20, the narrative behind that, that shouldn't factor in the award. I disagree with that because that is what ultimately would make these awards matters if they are a reflection of the, of the season that we're discussing, and I just think in order to have that be most accurate, you have to talk about the narrative perspective, about what the perception was about each of these players before coming in, because again, how else can you document most improved? By a rankings jump? By a wins jump? By if your hold or break percentage improved? If we want to do that, Maria Sakari should win this award every year, because every year her first serve percentage improves. It's like, well, she is the most, first serve win percentage, she's the most improved, year in, year out. Like, uh, that's that doesn't work. You can't just do it by the objective metrics. Obviously, they should be the heaviest weighed factor, but I don't think it can be an only statistical measurement if you want these awards to more broadly matter. And you know, you actually make a good, you make it, well, you always make good points, but <laughs> I just, you caused me to think about something there because for the most improved, I was going to make the point later on who, why does it have to be someone jumping up into the top 20? Why can't it be someone like, Holger Rune. Yeah, that's a very good argument. How about Anilia Ivashka, who, you know, what's the hardest jump in tennis? Is it going from top 30 to top 10, or is it going from top 100 to top 50? Like, uh, you know, it yes. Surviving the Futures Tour. Exactly, exactly. And so that is where. I think, you know, the word narrative comes into mind, but it's really just subjective. There has to be some subjective qualities to these awards, and that's what makes these uh, makes the debate so much fun. Now, you did say to remind you, was there a second thing there you wanted to point no, out that I you just, didn't have the chance yeah, well, to the do first, so? My, my first part was, are we just – if we just base it on majors, um, sure. what, what does the rest of the year even matter? And I was going to say the Olympics, but then I think, ah, yeah, we still kind of remember. You can still kind of remember who won the Olympics – 
a few years, you know, a couple Olympics ago. But in terms of like a random Masters 1000, if we just start basing things on majors, how much does any tournament besides them really matter? Is well, what I can, other point. I can tell you right now, 2016 Olympics, Andy Murray. 2012 Olympics, Andy Murray. That's all that matters, David, as you know. Um, no, all right. With that said, let's get into the fun then. Let's debate some of these awards, and obviously we're going to stick to the major categories uh, here, but uh, you know, so many of them uh, up for debate. Player of the year, newcomer of the year, comeback player of the year, but let's start with, I think, the most hotly contested one we've discussed before here on this podcast, and that's the most improved player of the year award and obviously you know part of the fun of this 2021 season was it really feels like a 15 month you know rat race that started back in august of last year and yeah we had a brief blip of time off in december perhaps the start of january as well but it does feel like we've seen these players 15 months consecutively we've seen the rise of a carlos alcaraz from you know, the futures level all the way through to top 35 in the ATP rankings. We've seen, you know, Aslan Karatsev, his run in Australia, and obviously yeah. the two headline candidates, Cam Nori, who's run to the Indian Wells title. You still can't believe actually happened. Well, is course- it as good as, as it seems? Well, we'll get back to that. And of course, Casper Ruud as well, who makes the jump. That is the arguably the hardest jump in tennis to make. Jumps into the top 10, qualifies for the year-end finals, wins countless ATP 250 titles, and you know reaches countless quarterfinals at the Masters 1000 level on hard courts, makes the final four of the year-end finals, which despite the injuries, remains incredibly impressive to do in your first time at the event. All of that said, those are the broader list of candidates. There are others to get into, but give me your award winner. Who is your mo- – or give me your top five, I suppose. Well, let's go one by one. Give me your number one guy first. Okay. So we'll start – and I I, I am going to guess that the mo- majority of the people are going to pick Nori for this. I'm not. I'm picking Karatsev, um, and I'll explain why. Um, so let's just get we'll, – we'll start with the, with the uh, stats. He, he had a rankings jump from the beginning of the year to now of 112 to 18. Um, he won Dubai, a 500 event. He won the Kremlin Cup at 250. He lost in the Serbian Open final to Berrettini, but I still count that tournament very highly because in the semifinals he had one of the – in one of the matches of the season, he beat Novak Djokovic um, on his home turf in Serbia. Made the Australian Open semifinals. Yes, he didn't have any huge wins there, but best of five, it's hard to make the semifinals in a major. Um, notable players beat him. He beat Marin Cilic. Uh, he beat Medvedev, although on clay. Schwartzman twice. Karen Kachanov, Djokovic, Rublev, Sinner, Shapovalov. Um and that's kind of on Karatsev specifically. Uh, and yes, he kind of tailed off at the end of the year, but his he started off so hot. And Dubai is t- typically one of the best 500 events, too. Um, mm-hmm. And I can explain. Do you want me to explain why it's not Nori, or do you want to? Well, on that? 
I guess, we, of course you started with Karatsev, uh, which is just interesting. And I mean, I think he has to be on your ballot, right? If you're making a short list, just his jump to go. And again, this is a 15-month process, right? You're looping part of this award in with the challenger success he had at the end of last season, in my opinion. And I think you have to. But, you know, again, statistically, I just it's hard to put what he did above the jump that Rude and Nori made because, yes, Aslan Karatsev went from the challenger ranks to establishing himself firmly in the top 50 of the ATP and, you know, top 30 of the ATP. And that jump is bigger than a jump made by an Ilya Ivashka, who I do think should be on the short list of candidates for this award as well. And it's bigger than jumps made by, you know, Kolgarune and Carlos Alcaraz and Yannick Sinner, who I think we all already knew were very good. And it's just like, well, now they've played 50 matches and 50 matches of being very good is going to give you better rankings points than 15 matches of being very good, right? It's a product of right. quantity, not improved quality. And certainly from a from that perspective, I suppose, the quality in jump for Aslan Karatsev, the level he jumped from is perhaps the biggest of any player on the ATP Tour this season. That's why I think he's got to be a top three finisher for this award. But again, this is where the subjective component comes in. You can't argue the jump that Karatsev made is more impactful than the jumps made by Nori and Rude. Karatsev goes from, yeah, hovering in the challenger ranks to now he's going to get to set his own schedule. And, of course, that is the ultimate luxury. That's the ultimate thing every player is chasing. But just for Nori and Rude, now you have to erase the ceilings about them. And you just have to – well, maybe less so for Casper Rude, but for Cam Nori in particular – What about his previous results, David, would have indicated this sort of season was possible? Again, you look for Cam Norrie, who, you know, 19 and 18 in 2018, 21 and 25 in 2019, 9 and 13 in his abbreviated season in 2020. Now, yes, he ripped together a 32 and 11 challenger season back in 2017, and he was the number one player in the nation in college. And certainly, I don't think anyone was surprised to see him ascend into the top 100 and you know stick around in that top 100 for quite a bit of time but at age 26 again whether it's the you know 8% jump that he experienced in hold percentage whether it was the 4% jump in break percentage just across the board Cam Nori just the jump he was elite he was elite this season. No ifs, ands, or buts, and I have other statistical categories I can turn to. But you know, Cam Norrie's in the top ten of just about every leaderboard you're looking for this season, and that just to me to go from solid to elite is a bigger jump than going from what's going on to all right, now you're an ATP-level guy because I think all of those guys have the greatness in them. It's the consistency. Karatsev found his consistency. Nori found his greatness this season. I, would, I just think that matters more. I would, okay. You know, you make some great points, and yeah, and you make <laughs> it very hard for me to even respond uh, because you really, I mean, you laid out the argument perfectly. Here's what I'll say about both Rude and Nori. First off with Rude, he won six matches total in the four majors this year. One second week, and then that was it. Kratzev mm-hmm. only that in the Australian Open himself by himself. Um, Rude also never won a title above a 250. He won a lot of 250s, and he was dominant in 250s. He never won a title above a 250. Um, so he, I think he's ruled. In my eyes, he's behind both of them. Uh, for Nori, uh, 
Nori Tartar. Yes, he made the ranking jump from 74 to 12. He never made the second week of a slam. Uh, Indian Wells, it was an impressive title, but he never had to play any of the big three. Or, I mean, Djokovic. Djokovic was not playing. Uh, never had to play Medvedev. Never had to play Zverev. His highest ranked player he beat was Diego Sportsman, who I believe was 11 in the world at the time. Uh, okay, can I push back on you quickly? Okay. Cam Nori at the let's go. Cam Nori at the slams. Australian Open beats Dan Evans. Third round loses to Nadal. French Open beats uh, you know is, uh, beats two unseeded players, but beats Lloyd Harris. Then loses to Nadal. Wimbledon uh, that was you know you know again well, beats Qui yeah. beats Bolt loses to Federer. Honestly, that was probably the most disappointing of the results. And then U.S. Open obviously the straight set loss to Alcaraz a little bit disappointing. But to say losses at the Slams to Nadal, Nadal, Federer at Wimbledon, and then an supremely informed Carlos Alcaraz at the U.S. Open. I, I like objectively, isn't that better than Aslan Karatsev's season at the Slams? Yes, Karatsev had the Australian Open semifinal, and that single result is the best of the bunch. But after that, second round French Open loss to Philip Kohlschreiber, first round Wimbledon loss to Jeremy Chardy. I would say the Alcaraz Brooksby results cross off because for Al- uh, Karatsev, obviously, he loses third round in five sets to Brooksby at the U.S. Open. Like, I don't think the, the Alcaraz loss is any worse than the Brooksby loss. And yes, he made the Australian Open semifinals, beats Schwartzman, beats Felix, beats Dimitrov before getting knocked out by Djokovic. But, like, I don't like for, I don't think Nori had a bad season at the slams other than the loss to Alcaraz. Like, I, I, I don't think that's a fair knock against him. He lost to Nadal twice and Federer once. Like, and he probably shouldn't have lost that Federer match. Isn't that a good season at the Slams for Cam Norrie, particularly given where he was coming into the year? Well, hold on. I, I want to. I know. In, so both he he was zero for six in sets against uh, Nadal. Nadal. Correct. Um, Federer, I believe he got four one sets. Set. Yep. Um, and, and I have that score in front of me for him against Federer that match. Uh, he ends up losing that one six four six four five seven six four. Yeah, so I guess, you know, if he went five sets with in any of those matches, I would say, okay. But he wasn't even, you know, you know, Federer was on his, Federer was not even a top 10 player at Wimbledon. And he was probably top 30 or top 20. Uh, he probably got a, you know, I, you make a good point, though. You, you do make a good point. Well, so here's the argument for those two over over uh, Aslan Karatsev, and then uh, we can get into Nori over Rude. And it sounds like you're Rude over Nori, which is interesting. No, I'm Nori over Rude. Definitely. So you're Nori over, excuse me, yeah, that, that I meant to say you're by, Nori over Rude. By so, far, not even so, a So Karatsev won, I'm going to say, you know, Rude to uh, Nori to Rude 3. Here are the numbers. Let's just look at, again, the, the metric. Do you look total wins, and this is via tennis abstract. If any of you disagree with these stats, you're disagreeing with Jeff Sackman. Your problem's with him, yeah. not with me. Um, total wins on the year. Again, we're just starting broadly. I'm going to go through a bunch of different categories here. But let's start total wins on the year. Okay. Cam Norrie, 56-24 and 24 in 80 matches. That 80 number, by the way, the most of any top 50 player. 56-24 and 24 overall on the season. Uh, Kasparud ties that 56 and 17 
Meanwhile, Aslan Kartsev overall in the year 37 and 20. So again, Nori Rude both over the 70% win percentage threshold. Kartsev is not. They're both also over the 50 win threshold. Two of just uh, six players on the year to hit 50 or more wins. Advantage Nori Rude. Now, obviously, again, we'll get back to the jump momentarily, but you'll just look by win percentage. Kasper Rude overall in the year sixth overall with his 77% win percentage. Nori ninth overall with his 70% win percentage. Those are both top 10 numbers. Karatsev a little bit lower on that list. He's all the way down at 16th. You start looking at, you know, again, the individual results at the ATP level. For Kasparut, he finishes second in total quarterfinals. He made 13. Nori finishes fifth with 10. Karatsev further down the list. He ends up, let's see, in terms of ATP level quarterfinals, makes five on the year. That's outside the top 20, outside the top 25. So again, for Nori, top five in quarterfinals with both guys on the year. You look semifinals. Kasparud, nine semifinals. That number tied for third. Cam Nori, seven uh, semifinals. That number tied for seventh. Again, both top 10 finishes, as in cards of four semifinals. That number is a top 20 number, but obviously beneath the other two guys, you get to the semifinals, Cam Nor- or excuse me, the finals. Cam Nori makes six on the year. Kasper Rude makes five on the year. Nori two and four. But obviously wins his first ATP title earlier in the season, then uh, earns his first Masters 1000 title at Indian Wells. You look for Casper Rude, five titles on the year. That number good for second. He also made five finals, 5-0, five and oh, all 250-level results, but still got to give him credit there. You look for Aslan Karatsev. He overall on the season, I believe, makes what was it? Let's see here. Aslan Karatsev uh, makes three finals. He goes two and one overall in the yeah. finals. So again, advantage. Dubai's a tough one though. Dubai is a tough tournament to win. It's true, and that's again the second biggest title. You'd probably go Indian Wells one, Dubai two. Kasparud's many 250s where he cleans up three. But again, Kasparud has a ridiculous winning streak on the year. And with that in mind, it's time to get into the advanced metrics. Top 10, 15, 20, 25 clubs, which some of you may know. Uh, what it, what does that mean? The top, you know, top 10, 15, 20, 25 in both hold percentage, how frequently you're holding serve, break percentage, how frequently you're breaking serve. Only three guys were top 10 in both hold and break percentage this season. You can guess who they are. Medvedev, Djokovic, Zverev. That makes a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. Two guys top 15 in both hold and break percentage. Kasper Rude and Ilya Ivashka, which is fascinating and kind of pads his case for why yeah. he's got to be on the short list and should be a finisher, I think, in this competition. You then get to top 20. That's Tsitsipas. That's Nadal. Top 25, Rublev and Nori. So again, in total, nine guys finished top 25 in both hold and break percentage. Rude and Nori were two of those nine. They're top 10 in every category I've just listed. I can keep going if you want, you know, wins and record by win percentage against players ranked outside the top 50. Kasper Rude, 32 and 4 on the year against players ranked outside the top 50, the sixth by win percentage. Cam Nori, ninth on that list. He was 31 and 7. You know, again, top 50 records for these guys. Kasper Rude, 24 and 13. That's again, sixth by win percentage. Cam Nori 12th by win percentage, but he's got 25 wins against top 50 opponents, 25 and 17 overall. You want to go to the top 20 opponents. Casper uh, Rude on the year, 9 and 11 against top 20 opponents, but again, that 20 matches, that's a top 
eight number uh, in terms of total players in the top 50. Cam Norris played 19 top 20 matches. He's 9 and 10. Now, Karatsev, 8 and 6. That's just as good as those guys, but obviously you talk about the opportunities he plays. Beat, that's, he beat Djokovic. It's true, but it speaks to the success they've had. And then finally, top 10 victories, just in terms of total victories on the year. You look for Karatsev. He's actually got five of them. Kasparud has got three. You look for Cam Nori overall in the season. He's got two. So again, things get a little bit more narrow there. But just by every statistical measurement, David, Kasparud and Cam Nori were top 10 players. And that is why when I'm making this argument in summary, overall, who am I more surprised by? to be a top 10 player in that category at the end of the 2021 season, to be top 10 in all of these statistical measurements? And the answer is Cam Nori because Kasparud was a top junior and there were flashes from success in Kasparud's past. And he was, you know, he makes that Houston final when he's 18, 19 years old. He rips off success during the South American clay court stretch. For Cam Nori to make quarterfinal after quarterfinal, then semifinals, then finals after event after event after event across levels and to you know, just be taking care of business, doing what he's supposed to do at the slams before he gets to a Roger Federer, a Rafael Nadal, that is one of the takeaways from this 2021 season. And I think the only way to properly memorialize the season is is to give him this award. Like how else, when we tell the story of 2021, isn't Cam Norrie's jump, his consistency from the uh, start to finish, one of the biggest takeaways of the year? I think he's a deserved winner of this award. He's a deserved winner for sure. I mean, the, the, uh, the stats that you just gave were very impressive and honestly, I really don't have much of a response because he kind of shut down. I could have said. So, I, I mean, apologize. Well, no, 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 because that's what you're supposed to do, right? I mean, yeah. that's what debate's all about. I, so no. I, really, I respect it big time. Um, well, thank you. I, say about Rude, perfect. I was going to say, give give me, I was going to say, this, so in terms of Casper versus Karatsev, you actually okay. may have talked me into Karatsev in part two, because you're right. If the narrative of the war is real, yes, I think 2021 may be considered the breakout season for Casper Rude if he goes on to continue on this path of success. But that said... There were flashes in the pan of it before. Karatsev belongs in this conversation because to do what he does, you just don't see that happen at age 27, 28, 29. And I think moving forward, one of the make-believe awards we can have is the Aslan Karatsev Award, the guy who makes that most unexpected jump. Um, I think you've talked me into having him number two on the ballot, although I want to get into some of the funky candidates who just deserve recognition for this award. But please give me your final thoughts on that top three, because I do think it comes down to, you know, again, if we're seeing the Heisman voting, who gets invited to New York? It's Karatsev, it's Rude, it's Nori. Yeah, here's what I'll say about Rude is for all of his success, and I, again, this is kind of playing into my major focus uh, the the most derived what I was going against earlier, so I kind of feel funky saying it. But I, here's what I'll say: is that Rude was really disappointing in slams this year, and he really was. Uh, Australian Open was his best, but he he his only really good win there was against Tommy Paul. Um, but he you know he lost a set to Albert, he lost, and then retired against Rublev. French Open was supposed to be his big breakthrough. He had I I watched the, at least part of the match. A very disappointing loss to Davidovich Vakina. Uh, he lost to Jordan Thompson at Wimbledon. Uh, Wimbledon's not going to be his best slam, but he lost in the first round, and I kind of had higher expectations. And then, yes, 
Boddick had a great tournament at the U.S. Open. But, again, this is a match that at that point you expect Casper to win. So I just feel like at the slams, and really beyond the 250 level, Rude was just not that wasn't as great as maybe his reputation. Sure. And again, I think, yeah, that, I mean, see, I disagree with you there. I was trying to fight it, but I just, I had to get it out. I disagree with you because you look for Casper Rude. I mean, again, I don't know when this narrative emerged that he, it's, and this is purely a fictional narrative. There is no better straw man than, oh, Casper Rude's a clay court specialist because I don't know anyone who's actually saying that. Now, his numbers coming into 2021 was not, yeah, other than Nick Kyrgios. There was one pronounced example. That was it. And so I think there's this misnomer that people considered him a clay court specialist entering the year. And certainly his pro results have been best on clay, but I don't think that's true. Nevertheless, here are his hard court results this year, David, and I think you know they speak for themselves. 26-10 and 10 overall on the year, round of 16 in Australia where he lost to Rublev, quarterfinals Canada, quarterfinals Cincinnati, quarterfinals Acapulco where he you know withdraws before playing zero. He then wins San Diego, round of 16 Indian Wells, quarterfinals Vienna, quarterfinals Paris, semifinals year-end championships. Like He performed on the hard courts this season, and uh, you know again— was the French Open loss for him disappointing? Absolutely. He, you know, a, a match against Davidovich Fokina, he shouldn't be losing that match in five sets, particularly when he's bageling him in set number four. And I do think entering 2022 for both he and Cam Norian, maybe this is something we can discuss later on in December, but just like they've got to make second weeks at Grand Slams. The, the same yeah. way it's time for Zverev to win a slam, it's time for them to make second weeks. And for Kasparud, I think in particular. Quarterfinals and beyond, not grand, right? Is that what well, you mean? I mean, I would like round of 16s consistently. That is my thing. Is it's just, like quarterfinals. Well, if I would like a quarterfinal, as particularly at the French Open for Kasparud, where it just feels like, how has he not done that yet in his career? I think that's a fair standard to hold him to at that event. But to me, it's just like, beat the lesser seeds. If yeah. you fall to a Hachinov in the fourth round, like, or a, you know, uh, a Schwartzman or, you know, a Bautista Goot on the wrong day, something like that. I don't love it, but I don't hate it. Like, but to me, any loss before that, any loss to someone without a seed next to their name, unless for some reason Carlos Alcaraz isn't seeded in Australia, like, that to me is now unacceptable. And to me, that symbolizes fourth round. It's like, it's got to be fourth round or further. Yeah. And, I, and you think that for Nori too. Right? I do because he's proven okay. it at the two to your point about it, all of his 250 success he's proven it against non-top 50 guys I mentioned it earlier he was what seventh or eighth in win percentage against those sorts of players like he's proven he can do it yeah yeah I mean he uh yeah made, he made the final of San Diego Leon es- Esteril uh, uh Los Cabos and then one Los Cabos yeah he's always been really good at the 250 level um mm-hmm. it's and just so- next step Oh, yeah. And so with all of that said, let's get into the, some some of the funkier names as we look down our ballot. And I've got a long list of players here, and it's changed a little bit. You know who's going to go in my number four spot? For uh, most improved? Yeah. What okay. about Talon Griekspor? Does he belong yeah. in this conversation? Should he be on this list? Oh, I, lo- I, love, the cha- I love the challenger uh, bringing that in. Um, huh. It's tough because I I just because I guess in my mind he's just doing he's just continuing what he's built on. Uh, what yeah, I've but always seven challenger titles. 
Well, I would say for me, it's like I've all. I guess for me, it just wasn't as unexpected. Uh, you know what? Seven challenger titles is hard to argue. Yeah. Uh, really, eight. It was eight. Yeah, we're at eight now. Um, yeah, sorry, eight. You're right. Eight, yeah, uh, eight challenger titles is really hard to argue. You know what? I can't fight it. I can't fight it because the results are just too good. You know, because yeah, he made uh, before these eight. He made he won a couple challengers, made a couple finals, but eight in one season that definitely deserves it. Yeah, you're right. He went 21 and 20 in 2019, 15 and 5 in 2020. That means he's now 57 and 12, David. 57 and 12 in his last 69 challenger matches. Come on now. Like yeah, again, you're right. he made a challenger final in 2018, uh, 2020 where he lost to Aslan Karatsev. He made a challenger final in 2019 September where he beat Sumit Nagal. But eight, eight no in challenger finals this year. Eight and zero, oh, like. Again, he's going to – it's a historic season. No one's matched it. And by the way, on the short list as well has to be Benjamin Bonzi as well as Sebastian Baez, right? Like both of those guys, uh, what they've done this season, Sebastian Baez, he was a top junior. So I have him – well, actually, I have him in a different category we'll get to elsewhere. I guess Benjamin Bonzi, like I know he kind of – I don't want to say flamed I, out a little bit at the end, but slowed down a little bit at the end. I think he, he deserves some – the ATP level either, really. Yeah, but those were your two best players at the challenger level this season, right? And they weren't yeah. the two best challenger players in the past, so that's why I think they belong on yeah. this short list. Yeah, I, I can definitely buy, buy as what he really he, he he continues to exceed my expectations. I feel like every tournament he plays. Uh, yeah. But yeah, no, with Greek sport, I guess for me, I always just considered, I always just thought he should be dominating the challenger level. But he, and now that he is, that's why my initial hesitation. But you're right. Winning eight challengers in one season and actually in like half a season, really, May to November, just super impressive stuff on three different surfaces, uh, play hard and indoor hard. Yeah, no, I, I can't disagree with you there. All right, I'm going to run through the rest of my ballot real quick, just some names to mention, then we'll move on to the next award. And I promise we're not going to take this long on every award we hit. But uh, here are some of the other players, I think, are tiers of candidates here. And you tell me if you agree or disagree. I think the next tier has to be the next-gen guys. And I think all of Sinner, who obviously down the home stretch like of the season – Everyone wanted him to make the year-end finals because it felt like he belonged in the top eight of the field, that his best now, whether it's the City Open title, just all the things he can do when he's playing his best is as good as just about anyone right now on tour. Maybe not quite there, but if at most a hair worse. And honestly, FAA with the results we saw from him at the slams. Carlos – well, we'll get back to that one. Carlos Alcaraz, obviously his continued success, although I don't think it's most improved. It's very sample size. This is, again, this is the sample size crew where it's just like we've gotten to see them more. Sinner, FAA, Alcaraz, Brooksby, Corda, and Holger Rune. I think those are the six 21 and under players that have stood out above everyone else. Oh, I – there's one the big name I think you're missing. Who am I missing? JMC. Yeah, because he has the ATP title too. So I have him a tier lower with the Nakashima, Surindolo, and Baez's of the world where it's like I thought they were excellent this year, but I don't think they can win Grand Slam titles. 
I'm not saying I think Brooksby and Corda and even Rune quite yet can win a Grand Slam title, but what they showed this season for players 21 and under, it's just like they're in the mix the next decade. It's just like locks, oh, yeah. locks, locks, locks. And I think Nakashima and Surindolo, Baez, they can all be top 50 players for sure, Wait, and I think they will be. Juan Manuel. Yeah, uh, Juan Manuel more than Francisco, but I'm okay. still a Francisco fan, as you know. But I think those six, Sinner, F.A., Alcaraz, Brooksby, Corda, Rune, that's the Medvedev, Zverev, Tsitsipas, Rublev, Berrettini of the next, next generation. Like, those six guys, to me, it's like, follow everything they do because they're not just going to be top 50 guys. They're going to be in the mix. See, I, I think JMC on clay is just as good as any of them. Um, sure, but it's not just Clay. Yeah, and I guess for me, the reason why I have him in there is because he has. Um, I'm trying to think. Brooksby has a. I'm trying to. Did Brooks? Oh, Brooksby. That, yeah, Brooksby made Brooks, the final in Newport, and obviously, yeah, but no title at the ATP yeah. level. So, in terms City of Open the, semifinals too. Results. JMC has the best result of all of them can i just say you're wrong because brooksby won a 6-1 set off novak djokovic that felt legitimate where it was like oh man brooksby just thoroughly outplayed novak in a set and like that on its own maybe he should win this award yeah brooksby i don't want to yeah you know i'm a big brooksby fan so yeah exactly you're right um so yeah i guess i just would add jmc in there just because the having that atp title and really he had to play some tough, you know, Kachmanovich on clay. He made Kachmanovich look ridiculous. He Kachmanovich had no idea to play against. Well, hold on that for newcomer award, which is where we're going to go next for sure. Okay. But just okay, again, so do you like my next gen tier? You say no FAA. I could hear from your reaction. You don't think he got marketably me, better at all? Here to win a title, and he still hasn't won one. So for he again in Stock in Stockholm, he got he was clear path. Did yeah. choked. I yeah. just can't. At some point, you have to. And I know he's young. And he really is young, but he's been around for so long. He's okay, but he could have played the next gen finals this year. Yeah, at some point when you're, uh, you're right. You're right. <laughs> no, no, you're right in that. Much like we've talked about for the slams for Nori, Rude, and Zverev, I think for FAA. I mean, you don't want to say you have to win an ATP title, but you can't lose another final to a Chilich. You just can't. Like, yeah. I agree with you. At a certain point, enough is enough. That said, I still think his forehand and serve are bigger than anyone else's or as big as anyone else's. And, like, there's a short list of players you say that. It's just, like, his best on the right day, on the right surface, can beat any of the, you know, maybe not Djokovic, but any of the other next-gen guys in the mix. Like, it can beat a Medvedev on a grass. It can beat a Zverev on a hardcore. I just, I do think he can be that good still. And that's why he has to be considered in this tier. Absolutely. When he beat uh, Batista Gut at the U.S. Open this year, I was like, holy cow, he's playing well. Uh, exactly. Great point. Exactly. And we saw that f- flash enough from him this season that I'm like, okay, I'm still in, even despite yeah. the lack of ATP title, which I agree with you. It is a concern, but there's that tier. Shout out Ilya Vashka. We've given him shouts out throughout the course of the year. He has, you know, again, one of those fantastic stories you underrate. 
Honestly, I know this is a hot take, but I think Medvedev and Zverev deserve consideration because they've gone from obviously towards the top of the game to being like, it's a key three. It's Djokovic, yeah. it's Medvedev, it's Zverev. Yeah, Tsitsipas on clay, you throw onto that short list as well, but you just can't on the other surfaces with those guys while you can throw them on clay with a Tsitsipas. Maybe not Medvedev, but he's so good on the hard courts and it just transcends it and the way he competes. Anyways, like I think there's some consideration for them. Nakashima, Surandolo, Baez, Tier, the Rindernesh's, Pedro Martinez, Porteros, Marcos Giron's, Botic Vandesen, Sculpts of Marcos the World. Giron. Let's give him a shout out. Yeah, what a exactly. Yeah. Botic Vandesen sculpt. He's like a tier below. You know, Nakashima is to Alcaraz on this list what Botic Vandesen sculpt is to Ivashka. Like that's the that's the comparison there. Like they all are on this short list. It's amazing. Now that you mention all these guys, you're, I'm like – in my head, I'm like, I didn't even think, but yeah, like him too, him too, him too. Yeah. Like, Some other ones. I'll rapid fire through here. Hubi Hercots, Dan Evans, Lloyd Harris, Taylor Fritz, Francis Tiafo. honestly all of the American youngsters, just American men's Paul. tennis, period. TP, Liam Brody, Yuri Lachetchka, Zizou Bergs for a start of the season more than the end. I'd throw some Diego Tarante love in there, but pick your Argentinian – Clay Quarter, whomever you, yeah, Atchevere, whomever you want to put on that list. A lot of players got a lot better, David. This is a tough award. Like it, you're right, Nori Rude. I think Nori Rude Karatsev have probably separated themselves, but like, honest to God, give it to any of these players that we've mentioned, yeah. and I would be satisfied. Yeah, they're just. It really has been a season where we've we've seen these players rise up the rankings. It's been so fun to watch, you know, a lot of these players that you mentioned were not, we're playing challengers not that long ago. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's just great. And that's what I really love about the challenger tours. You get to watch these players grow and develop their games and really come from kids to adults. You know, it's, it's really cool to see. And I, this is, I guess, just another plug to watch the Challenger Tour, but you never know who's going to be the next one. I actually think it's going to be next year we'll be talking about Alvarez Verona. Like, mm-hmm. like maybe we're talking about uh, some of these, uh, like a Rune or something. No, like I it. think I think we're going to start talking about Rune in the Alcaraz Sinner tier. I do think. We'll get to – David, we've got a month. We've got a month of this. But with these names in mind, let's talk about my next favorite award, and that's Newcomer of the Year because I do think – Again, this is where things get interesting, and I wish we had the short list of finalists because, again, we're making them up here as we go. Do you want to hear my short list? You want to give yours first? We're making the list for them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, well, you know they're going to listen to this pod and then not offer us the right to actually vote in them, although I suppose they can hear our votes here now. But I'll, I'll no blank slate. I'm not going to bias you. Give me your newcomers. Who, who are you considering? Who would you ultimately give it to? The the two I'm considering are two I've already mentioned, Rune and JMC. And I'll give you the – so for JMC oh, – Well, by the way, before you get into that, I'm sorry. Just quickly, most improved player of the year award winners. Andre Rublev, 2020. Obviously, that one has aged well. Matteo Berrettini, 2019. That's aged well. Tsitsipas, 2018. That's aged well. Shapovalov, 17. We'll talk about it later. Yeah, uh Pui, well Pui, at Wimbledon. That yeah. kind of makes- Season, yeah. Pui 16, Hyun Chung 15. Boy, that Hyun Chung one was about to age well. Bautista Goot 14, 
Kareno Busta, 13. Some other interesting ones. Ma- uh, Marenko Matosevic in 2012. Djokovic actually won this award back-to-back in 06 and 07. Nadal in 05. Agassi in 98. You know, these are all most improved player award winners. And that's why I think the Nori won. Again, that's why I think this award matters. That's why I would think if you wanted to be fun for the most improved player award, you'd give it to Carlos Alcaraz. Because, even though I don't think it's an improvement based on his level, I just think it's an improvement based on result. Although I think if you're trying to stick with that theme, that's who you go with. In terms of newcomers of the year, and this award has changed its titles, but I mean, Alcaraz in 20, Sinner in 19, Dimanur in 18, Shapovalov 17, Fritz 16, Shapovalov sweeping most improved and newcomer of the year in 17, Fritz in 16, Zverev 15, Chorich 14, the last stinker, I mean, I'm still on the Chorich year. Chorich is another one. Uh, yeah, I'm still on Chorich, the, the, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Breaks my heart. I'm still on the Yuri Vesely bandwagon, who won this award in 2013, but that ship may have sailed. You know, Nadal won this in 03, Songa in 07, Nishikori 08, Roddick 01, Safin 98, Juan Carlos Ferreira 99. You can go back, Michael Chang 88. This award has mattered in the past. And by the way, a most improved award. This award is voted on by the ATP players from the nominees. It goes to the player who reached a significantly higher ATP ranking by year's end and who demonstrated an increasingly improved level of performance through the year. Newcomer of the Year Award. This award is voted by the ATP players from the nominees. It goes to the next generation player, age 21 and under, who entered the top 100 for the first time and made the biggest impact on the ATP Tour during the season. From 2013 to 2017, this award was named ATP Star of Tomorrow. It was given to the youngest player who entered in the top 100 if two or more players in the top 100 shared the youngest birth year the highest player ranking highest ranked player won the award so this used to just be a hey hand it out to the highest ranked youngest player in the atp top 100 this is fascinating david again with that in mind i apologize now the scene has been properly set give me your case so yeah for me it's at least in my mind i go to two names i mentioned them before Juan Manuel Sanandolo and Holger Rune, and I'll explain why for both of them. Um, you, we've really been talking up Holger Rune. It's for good reason. Rune, um, but let's start with Juan Manuel Sanandolo. Um, 341 in the world at the start of the year, 90 in the world now. He has – it's hard to believe for both Rune and Sanandolo, they were playing ITF, an ITF tournament to start the year. He got. He made an ITF final. I believe he had a stomach bug or something, and he withdrew from that match. Um, that was shortly before he won Cordoba, an ATP 250. And yes, it was a weaker 250, but he still had to beat, for instance, uh, Albert Ramos Vinales in the uh, final. He had to beat Kachmanovic, uh, Federico Coria, who just won a challenger on Sunday on clay. Very tough clay quarter. Um, he also won three challengers, made two more finals. It just was – I had been watching Sarandolo close, closely since uh, Montevideo a couple of years ago when he made the semifinals and he ended up losing to Del Bonis. But uh, I never expected anything like this. Here's who I think wins it, though. Holger Rune. Um, 474 to start the year. He's right now 104. The top 100 is basically a formality. He started the year playing ITFs. So he made an ITF final. He made an he won an ITF final and he won he made an ITF he won an I sorry tongue twister he won an ITF title and he made two more finals he I think he was in the stretch of three straight tournaments four challenger for final title titles and an additional final 
he really can't went from a guy spoiled Brad, and we can we don't have to get into what he did off the court with the whole homo- homophobic stuff but in terms of his reputation coming into the year really was around centered around what Matusevic said about him oh he just worked so hard and you know more Tagu glue academy and all the stigma that comes with that also the cramping stuff uh and he really transformed himself into verging on an ATP tour type player uh and I think next year that's when he gets there uh it's really hard for me to see anyone but these two but and I think that Rune takes the cake sorry for all the stumbling I got title and final well firstly David I unfortunately don't think Holger Rune is going to be eligible for the award because he hasn't cracked the top 100 yet and I agree with you that it's going to be a formality, and I do think when we look back at this award, we may have wanted to give it to Holger Rune, who I think is almost a if – if there were futures odds and you could bet on any award being won, I would bet every penny that Holger Rune will win this award next year, that he will be the youngest player to make his top 100 debut during now, the course of the still- season. Now, there's, I know he retired against all Well, did, did Carlos Alcaraz make his top 100 debut last year? I'm trying to remember. I, I'll look I, that up, but go Rune ahead. Still, say what you were going to say. Rune still might be entered into a tournament or two. I'm not 100% sure. I know he retired against Arnabolde recently, recently, but yeah. he still well, might have a shot to get there. Well, there are some crazy numbers when you look at Holger Rune, like absolutely insane numbers if you date back to last August. And by the way, for Carlos Alcaraz – oh, never mind. Carlos Alcaraz is winning this award. You can just – we can – Stop this conversation oh, now. I didn't even think about Alcaraz. Alcaraz is winning this award because I thought he had cracked the top 100 last year. He didn't. He cracked the top 100 in May of this oh. season. Yeah, he's winning this award. There's just yeah. – I apologize for the first few minutes of debate. You can lock that in now. Let's just pretend it wasn't going to be Carlos Alcaraz who, again, unequivocally going to win this award. And he won it last year, but now he's going to win it this year. So that's back-to-back for Carlos Alcaraz. That's, again – Special, special performance for him. But if it's not going to be Alcaraz back-to-back, David, you you swung and missed on Jensen Brooksby. Like, Jensen Uh, Brooksby is the winner of this award who goes from, again, multiple injuries throughout the course of his early career to ripping together an 80% win percentage this season. He went 49-12, and David, and it started with a 25K event, then goes to South Africa, loses first round, but then wins the challenger there, makes the final in Cleveland, wins Orlando, wins Tallahassee, qualifies for Roland Garros, wins, or makes the final, excuse me, of Newport, semifinals of Washington, fourth round U.S. Open, takes a set off of Djokovic, semifinals Antwerp as well, and just... You know, I think it was Oleg, you know, at Anna K Forever who tweeted this out earlier today. There have been 12 players, David, who born 1970 or later who have ripped off 80% or higher win percentages in the course of a season. And Zvira of this year was at 79.5%, so he didn't crack that list. But Jensen Brooksby cracked that list this season. And even if you want to go, you know, ATP level only, Brooksby went 18-8. and eight. It's a 69% win percentage for a guy who hadn't competed really at the ATP level prior to this year. Excuse me, he goes 15-7 and seven overall on this season if you take out uh, the 25K that's factored into the tennis abstract numbers. But still, like, Brooksby, 
you know, again, 80% win percentage. Now, I agree with you. Holger Rune since August. Well, he, listen to this, though. Holger Rune has played 132 matches since the tour resumed in August. He's 94 and 38. That's ridiculous. He's also 76 and 30 in his last 52 weeks of play. Over 100 matches in a 52 week stretch. He's won 76 of them. That's ridiculous. He's done it at the futures level, the challenger level. Hasn't quite done it at the ATP level yet, but will certainly have his chances in 2022. Again, I think he's a shoe in to win this award next year. If they don't give it to Alcaraz, though, I think you just have to go the consistency of Brooksby over the one ATP final, but then otherwise challenger success of Surindolo. I don't think that's a bad shortlist for your top three. I would go Brooksby one, Rune two, Surindolo three in the, uh, in the, if they don't give it to Carlos Alcaraz. But like, yeah, I, 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 I like, I think it, I don't think Surindolo wins the award. I think it goes Brooksby if it's not Alcaraz. Yeah, so I, I guess in my head, the reason why I was thinking more just like challenger guys who are breaking through right now, as opposed to guys like Brooksby and Alcaraz, who absolutely deserve it more than these two, because they broke through in what May, no, sure. uh, maybe uh, January for Alcaraz, and uh, May. No, or- it was August for Alcaraz. Let's be honest. Yeah, I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Alcaraz. Alcaraz. I just maybe my head is just such an ATP guy. I can't even think of him as a newcomer anymore. But you're right. <laughs> Brooksby too. Brooksby. Brooksby deserves it more than Rune and Surundolo uh, for sure. I just again, he's because he's been doing it for a while. I didn't even think about him. But yes, uh, Brooksby. His physicality on court is never say die attitude. His ability to just totally make opponents uncomfortable with his variety and his drop shots and his awkward slices just a joy to watch um and he he, he's right up there and then Alcaraz there's nothing to even say about him other than just what a incredibly talented player I I would have uh I would have loved to see him uh, in the Davis Cup uh, finals if it wasn't for uh, Corona. I uh, see him play for his country. What a! And then if he had just, I think he got worn down by the in the U.S. Open. If he was at a hundred percent physical uh, physicality there, that would have been cool to see at towards the end of his run. Um, yeah, no, you're totally right. Here's what I'll say about Rune now, and the most imp- I just I know this isn't a Rune podcast, but I just want to hype up this part of the season. And I just this is so impressive. He made he won San Marino, he won Verona in consecutive weeks, and then he went to North America for US Open qualifying, qualified and took a set off Djokovic. He took a set off Djokovic too at the US Open, not just for um Have we done a next gen two point on him yet? I I don't think we did him last year. Alright, we're doing that this off season. You can lock that in right now. Like, I agree. Let's let's do a full Rune podcast because it's worthy of that. And again, we've got all month. We'll get there. Um, because, yeah, I, I do think he is that good. And again, uh, plenty of time here in December to talk about that. Let's rapid fire through the rest of these awards down the home stretch. Player of the year. It's got to be Djokovic, right? Oh, yeah. There, was, there wasn't even another consideration in my mind. Yeah, I mean, Medvedev, Zverev would be the other two guys to put on this list. 
but it's Djokovic, and it's not even a question. Yeah. Uh, b- by the way, this would be player of the year award number eight for Novak Djokovic. I believe that would be the all-time lead. Bjorn Borg won five. John McEnroe won three. Oh, no. Pete's, yeah, Pete Sampras won six. Fetters won five. Nadal has won five, but this would be number eight. Oh, no, he's already won it, so this is number seven uh, for Novak Djokovic. Uh, comeback player of the year. You got anyone stand out in particular? Uh, I want to hear what you say first, because I, 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 I don't want to forget someone else again, so I want to hear you go first this time. Ugh, I don't really have any. now. Like, who came back from a debilitating injury? And you look at some of the past comeback player of the year awards, you know, Murray uh, in 2019, Djokovic, Federer, 18-17, Delpo, 16, Nadal, 13, Pospisil last year. I don't know. When I look at the rankings, <laughs> I... I don't know. I don't have. I don't have a great answer to this. Like Marin Cilic, maybe. I mean, uh, if even though he wasn't really gone. If we talk about within the season, Taylor Fritz came back. Oh, that's a great one. Right? Yeah, that's a great answer. I mean, I thought he was out for the rest of the season when he was in that wheelchair, and for him to come out and have the second half of the season, he had unbelievable effort. What about Mackey or like a James Duckworth type? By the James, way, Duckworth belongs in that most improved conversation. James Duckworth and Mackey both exceed my expectation. You talked about that Washington final uh, with Sinner earlier. Mackey yeah. played his heart out in that tournament and really showed that he has the level to compete the best. Yeah, I can't disagree with you there. I think they're all good nominees. Man, I don't know who I'd give Comeback Player of the Year award to. I really don't. It would be – I yeah, I'd, I'd – I think the comeback player is awarded by the ATP player nominees. It goes to players who overcome serious injury and reestablishing himself as one of the top players on the ATP tour. I guess Mackey because his hamstring came off. So I guess that's who I go with this year. I'd go with Fritz. Just, yeah, uh, that's a good one to, too. I don't know if it has to be an injury before the season or if it's during the season. Yeah, listen to this run, by the way. Most improved players. 1988 Agassi, 89 Michael Chang, 1990 Sampras, 91 Courier, 93 Todd Martin. Not a bad run. Yeah. (laughs) Not a bad run for the American. Whoever wins it after. Who won the year after that? I'm kidding. Uh, in 92, uh, 92, it was won by Mikhail Pernfors, former Georgia standout. 1995, uh, or excuse me, 1992, it was won by Henrik Holm of Sweden. 94, Evgeny Kafilnikov. 95, Temis Enquist. 96, Henman. 97, Rafter. Yeah, there's some pretty good choices here. Like, no yeah. no, no uh, poor picks on that list. Coach of the year, anything, any strong preferences? Oh, man. It's so tough because oh, – that's a tough one. Coach of the year. I'd I mean, go with Casper Ruud's coach because brilliant scheduling. Like they nailed it. They won the season. Yeah. They didn't go play – you know, again, they just were like, no, we are playing these 250s in the clay because we think he can make a big push here. He won 15 matches in a row. Yeah. I mean that's not a bad option. Um, I mean I was going to say uh, – I can't remember. Gilles – how do you pronounce his last name? Medvedev's coach. Sure. But him. Maybe Craig Boyden? Ooh, that's a good one. Obviously, that speaks to the uh, continued development of Hubie. Um, uh, Nori's coach? Nori's I mean, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of good picks. I, there's a lot of good picks. Um, all right, fan favorite. Will Federer win? I think he already did win it for the 19th year in a row. Uh, oh, is it already? Yeah, I mean – 
fan favorite, it's got to be... Uh, He's won it every year yeah. since 2003, Roger Federer has. Every year since 2003. There's something immensely, at least from my perspective, there's something so immensely entertaining about watching Medvedev, though. That I just I was saying that when he was playing center, yeah. I think, in, in uh, the ATP Finals. There's just, just the way he galvanizes the crowd. See, you, you, you know who's going to win this award someday? Francis Tiafa. You can lock that in right now as well. He should be a candidate for this award. Have you noticed that Sinner has been a lot more uh, expressive on court after that Tiafo match? Can I ask you, did you steal that take from Gil Gross's Twitter feed? I don't. I remember seeing it on Twitter. I don't know who it was. was it was it Gil. Gil? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, Gil, good point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I do think, though, a yes – and I do think Tiafo's creating a permission structure for other players to do it as well, that he's being embraced. Others will see that. They will aspire to be embraced as well. I like it. I like every aspect of it. I have yeah. no complaints with the uh, – Schwartzman's always going to be close Ooh, to Ooh, that's a good one too. All right, Sportsmanship Award. Does it go to Rafa again or does it go to Federer? I'm trying to think. Has there been any big time – Yeah, like let cord or- sort of in- – it's not going to go to Sasha Bublik. Um, we can lock that in. No. <laughs> It's not – I mean uh, – I know. I know. Who's just the ultimate sportsman? Who's just – who gives those hugs at the end of the matches where you're like, that is just a – everyone likes that sort of You'd be her guess. Felix. Felix Ogier-Aliassime is an eventual write-in for this award. I could see him winning one or two over the next decade. Um, I, I, I would say her cash or uh, – That's another good one. Hubi could win it too. Hubi and Felix could battle for this award. T- um, Liam Brody? It's hard. Sportsmanship is such a – talk about subjective. It's yeah. such a subjective subject. Yeah. Uh, what about Ilya Marchenko? No, I'm just kidding there. I mean, no. Um, he could. I mean, who says it has to be on the ATP tour? Right? Sure. sure. Why not? Uh, but again, with all that said, David, any final thoughts here as we wrap this awards show? This uh, this was a lot of fun. Uh, sorry if we went off on tangents, y'all, but it was a lot of fun uh, to really get to talk about a lot of these players who deserve recognition. It's always great to give players the recognition they deserve. Not that we're not this is you know, not that I'm like this huge platform, but even you know a small platform is better than none. Uh, no, of course. This is again, it's award season. It's half the fun. And by the way, I tweeted out, and I should have made it two separate polls and. Ben Rothenberg, our mutual friend, has already ripped on me for it in a subsequent Twitter poll when he asked, why are you asking two questions with one poll and will you ever learn? But I asked, do awards matter in professional tennis and do tennis fans actually care about awards season? 177 votes thus far. I got a vote. Okay, a hundred. I'll wait for that hundred seventy eighth vote to come in. Uh, I got as of right now, it's in. All right, seven percent yes, fifty three percent no. 21% sort of, 19% tennis gives out awards. Uh, that's where things stand as of right now. And yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm not surprised that the majority answer is no. Like that that doesn't surprise me that that's where things are at now, right now. But hopefully, ooh, now all of a sudden up to 181 votes, nothing changes, still same percentages. You yeah. know what? If you want to throw that a retweet, by the way, David, I'm trying to juice that one up to a thousand. That would be nice to see a thousand votes on that. <laughs> you did it, as uh, Potter. I love it. I, it's higher. Tennis gives out awards is higher than I expected it to be. 
Yeah, that's true. And uh, it's a little concerning that it's at 20%. But again, that's what the point of this purpose is, to raise awareness, to celebrate some of the best seasons of the year. And again, I'm looking forward, David, to having more of you on this podcast, getting you back on the weekly grind over the next month and more. We'll talk about the biggest off-season questions. We'll do a whole Garune podcast. We'll explore everything. But I heard you allude to it earlier. You're going to be doing some writing as well. Where can everyone find your work? What can we expect from you? Yeah, so the reason why Holger Rune and Surrender are on my line, were on my mind so much is because I I've, I gave an end of season wrap up for Last Word on Tennis for them that should be coming out soon. You can find me there. You can find me on Twitter, uh, that tennis blog. You can find me. Uh, you can find me on Facebook even if you want. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, all about tennis blog, Last Word on Tennis. I, hopefully I'll be able to write for y'all something at some point soon. I always like writing. Um, Holger so, Rune 2.0, David. Yeah, maybe I'll do a breakdown of his game when we yeah. do the No, oh, I love it. And we, by the way, I, I have topics for you in the queue. I'll have to throw them. But yes, hit me with the speaking of. Oh, yeah, no. I just remember that last year we had like a whole big set of like questions about Rune. Uh, so, I, so yeah, that can be an article easily. Yeah, um, no. And I'll, th- I'll be sure to throw other topics your way. Yeah, I'm ready. Bring them on. This is fun. I, lo- I love it. Again, I've said in the past, it feels like uh, skipping uh, Stephen A uh, back in the old <laughs> first tape days. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, no, exactly. The thing is, we're not getting a divorce anytime soon. But all right. I love it as always, David. Happy belated Thanksgiving to you and your family. I appreciate you always taking the time to chat with us. Be safe. Be healthy. We'll talk to you more next week. Thanks. And happy th- belated Thanksgiving to y'all too. No, I appreciate that. Thank you as always, David. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with Cracked Rackets contributor David Gertler. A thank you to him as always for taking the time to tolerate all of my nonsense and to entertain all of my wildest ideas. Certainly, that felt like the perfect discussion to kick off our off-season content. And again, expect to hear from David each and every week, as well as a slew of other Cracked Rackets returning champions. As, you know, again, I want to form a bit of a rhythm here, give you guys, uh, you know, a schedule of what to expect over the course of the next month. We'll talk to X person on Mondays, Y people on Tuesdays, college contenders on X day, whatever it may be, so that you can, uh, you know, adjust accordingly to all the off-season content we have coming your way. As again, we're going to explore the biggest questions entering 2022. We're going to offer our final reflections on 2021. Just try and ensure you listeners remain the most well-informed, best educated fans in the business. Of course, if you miss out on any of that content, you can catch up on it all on our website, crackrackets.com. If you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I'm at Great Shot Pod. Of course, like, rate, subscribe, review to this show, our mini break podcast, Cracked Interviews podcast, as well as our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. All the content there, by the way, made possible by the efforts of our super producers, Max Flickner and Daniel Westhoff, who, as always, have a f- of an editing job to do day in, day out. With all of that said, though, for our fantastic co-host today, David Gertler, super producers Fleekner and Westhoff, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. Hey, great shot, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>